Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello, I'm Alison Larkin, writer, comedian, narrator, and host of The Jane Austen Podcast. Join me as we embark on a journey through Austen's timeless stories, starting with Pride and Prejudice. The Jane Austen Podcast with Alison Larkin is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, I'm Keegan. And I'm Madigan. And you're listening to Your Angry Angry Neighborhood Neighborhood Feminist. Feminist. This is a podcast where we explore the world through our own personal feminist perspectives. Tis. Tis. And this is the second week of Women's History Month. And this is a a subject that I know that you really wanted to do. Yeah, so originally I wanted to kind of do like a different country of feminism every week. And then I wanted to do a Forgotten Feminist, which kind of threw it off. Um, So I really wanted there to be an episode where, because we talk so much about the American feminist movement. So I was really fascinated um, about feminism in other countries. And I thought it'd be really interesting to kind of look at one country in particular and kind of go into their history. And um, Ireland has kind of been in the news a few times. We've talked about them in yes. many episodes. And I know that feminism has played a big role in their country. So And I'm, you're Irish. And I'm Irish. My name is and Madigan Haggerty. St. Patrick's Day is coming up. That's I true. I know that Irish people are probably like, oh my God, I don't give a fuck yeah, uh, about St. Patrick's Day because I think Americans really take that on as being yeah. like... It's like a party holiday. Yeah, Irish Americans are really the ones. That's what St. Patrick's Day is for. Yeah, you know? totally, totally. So our American listeners are going to love it. <laughs> so uh, we are going to dive right in into feminism in Ireland. Yeah. So kind of where my notes start is with Easter Monday. In 1916, this man named Patrick Peirce read A Promise of Equality. He declared to end the British rule, guaranteed religious and civil liberty, equal rights and opportunities for all citizens, and universal suffrage. And this was... Keegan just took a sip oh. of whiskey and shuddered. Oh my god, I'm so sorry. I um, I decided, I'm like, we're doing... <laughs> We're doing Irish feminism, so I'm going to pour some whiskey and have whiskey while we record. And Did you mix it, or is it just straight whiskey? I did not. I just put, um, like, an ice cube in it, and, like, my ass was just like, Keegan, (laughs) you're basically a professional drinker. You can do this, no problem. Um, And I can, but I will be sipping it slowly. Anyway. Fun fact about Irish Madigan here. Can't hold my liquor. Can't do it. I'm probably... Didn't get those jeans. I'm probably the only Haggerty in my family. Like, my mom would talk about going to funerals that would end in, like, brawls. Oh, Anthony's family family. is... Like, okay, so my fiancé is half Irish, half Filipino, and both sides can drink, like, crazy. And I come come from a family that doesn't drink, really. So it is insane when i'm around his family like it's like they don't even get phased yeah at all (laughs) yeah my dad's side is definitely drinkers my dad's an alcoholic like that shit's just in our blood and it just totally missed me because i am the biggest lightweight you'll ever meet so back to what patrick purse was saying anyway anyway he was talking about universal suffrage suffrage and since this is 1916 it's interesting because this is two years before british women got the right to vote so it was really like 
a big deal for him to say that there was going to be universal suffrage. Right. So this is 1916. And in 19... 18 is yes. when not only British women, but also women in Ireland, because along with the rest of the UK, uh, they received the right to vote. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a little bit. Yeah. Well, what I have, what my next note is here is that you could vote in 1918 if you were a woman over 30. Right. And had qualifications. Yeah. I put those in quotes, too. Proper yeah, qualifications, like, which I don't know what that means. Or, uni- or university constituencies. Right. But men, on the other hand. Just, just had, had to, to be, be 21. 21. There were no qualifications involved. Yep. So it's kind of interesting when you put this side by side with the United States and the way that our suffrage movement happened. So while women in the UK, including Ireland, received the right to vote first, so in yeah. 1918, whereas white women, let's be honest, in yeah. the United States in 1920, so two years later, uh, when the 19th Amendment passed, that's when they received the right to vote. So while it happened sooner in the UK, there were weird limitations on it that there weren't yeah. in the United States. So. Well, and as we're going to talk about it throughout this episode, because you can't really talk about Irish government without talking about the Roman Catholic Church. Oh, yes. And so there's a lot <laughs> of that going on. So It's what makes it so bananas. Like, yeah. I, I, yeah, I don't mean to say that. I don't mean to like undermine anybody's culture I mean, or religion. I mean, I was raised Roman Catholic, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you right now, it's fucked up. It being <laughs> any time, any time um, a religion is so deeply tied up in the government of a place, yeah. it was kind of the same way that I felt when I lived in Utah, whereas like anytime a religion is so tied up in the government, it affects everything, it's, and it's bizarre, and yeah. like it, it shouldn't be that way. Yeah, and I think a lot of the things we're going to talk about today, in terms of like women's reproductive rights, especially, and yeah. like and rights within a marriage, um, I think are deeply, deeply tied to Catholicism. They, they really are. So, really quick before we move on, I wanted to bring up that in 2016, there were historians that researched the stories of 77 women who were jailed for participating in the uprising on Easter Monday, which I thought was really in what year? Um, in 2016. Historians went back and they researched, oh, okay. they researched these okay. 77 women who were like a part of the Easter Monday How Rising. Cool. Yeah, and I thought that was really cool. Very cool. So in 1922, the government granted equal rights, but this breakthrough, breakthrough really didn't last very long. So there was this guy named Eamon de Valera. He was originally like Robert Oh, and then Edward, and then he was Eamon or Eamon, sure, however you want to say it. My God. He was some, like, political prisoner at one point. Like, so you're saying he probably would have been, like, insufferable on, like, Tinder. Oh, insufferable. He would have been, like, one of those fucking, like, hipster guys. He probably waxes his mustache. I mean, he wears either a that or, like, at, at this time he had, like, he waxed his beard and just had the real, like, hipster mustache. Yeah, um, like, no thank so you. So he was super, super, super conservative, um... And he would adjust the laws away from equality. So we've got the Roman Catholic Church and we've got Amen or Eamon de Valera who right. are working fucking together in so, the Irish Free State. This is very interesting. So in 1922, the Irish Free State gave equal voting rights to mm-hmm. men and women. Um, so you'll see like in, in 1918 is when that law was passed for women to be able to vote, but you had to be 30 and all yeah. of those extra qualifications in 1922, they gave equal voting rights, but there's loopholes. In and there. in the next 10 years, it's weird. It's like they regressed. They it did. was very strange. Yeah. They, they eliminated women's rights to serve on juries. 
uh, working after marriage, which was the marriage bar, and then wa- uh, working in industry. And a really interesting quote from Eamon Amen. I'm going to go with Eamon. Is that cool? Sure. So I don't have to say yes, his name yes. both times. Okay. But it's E-A-M-O-N. Would that be Eamon? I feel like that's Eamon. I'm going to say Eamon. I'm going to say Eamon. Okay. okay. So Eamon says... I low-key like that name, which is kind of a bummer. Because he seems it's like an a Irish dick. I'll forget about it, and then I'll love it again. Okay. So he says, The state recognizes that by her life within the home, woman gives the state support without which the common good cannot be achieved. The state shall therefore endeavor to ensue that mothers shall not be obliged by economic necessity to engage in labor to the neglect of their duties in the home. So oh, my like, gee, thank you so much. I know, he's like, I'm going to do y'all a favor. Oh, my God, you thank you so much. You don't have to worry about working. You don't have to worry about any of that. I fucking you're, hate that. You're giving your duty to the country by staying the fuck home that and keeping your lips shut. That is the most gaslighty shit for you to introduce that to me as if you're doing me a fucking favor. Yeah. There might be nothing I hate more than, yeah. like, introducing something that I don't want as if you're doing me a favor. Yeah. Oh, I hate that shit so much. Yeah. So, like I said, he was um, very much in it with the Catholic Church. He had a lot of the same ideologies. Um, so... The church also controlled many of the state's hospitals, schools, and was one of the largest providers of social services. Separation of church and, and state. state. Okay, so now we're going to get into... That was really of, pretty. We was, harmonized at the end. It was, was great. pretty good. I'm impressed. Yeah. So we're going to kind of get into the second wave a little bit, because that's all I have on before the second wave. Do you have anything else I, to add? I do. So um, we Because I have a lot of other stuff to add from other parts, but... Okay, I mean, I'm sure we will get to it. Yeah, okay, we can just move through. Move we'll move through. through. Okay, cool. And I'll so, jump back. So, in the 70s, the second wave began mostly with housewives. Yes. And they started the Irish Women's Liberation Movement. In 1970. In, in 19... I believe. Yep, and then... Um, in 1970 is when the Irish Women's Liberation Movement began. Yeah. And then it was in 1971 that a group of Irish feminists, and they were mostly from this movement, the Irish yes. Women's Liberations Movement, they traveled. I loved this detail, and I'm sure there's more that we're going to talk about, but this detail cracks me up. In 1971, a group of Irish feminists, mostly members of the Irish Women's Liberation Movement that was established the mm-hmm. year before in 1970, they traveled to Belfast, Northern Ireland, which, listen, guys, if you are listening from Ireland, I am so fucking sorry because I am going to get some of the history wrong. Like, it, oh, for sure, there we, has don't know been, the, we don't know what the fuck we're talking about. We've never had a day of Irish history in our it, lives. Exactly, and the, I know very, very fucking little. Yeah, most of it probably from U two songs. But this fucking fascinates um, and, us. And cranberry songs. Uh, the combination <laughs> of you. Sunday Bloody Sunday and the song Zombie by the Cranberries is probably the majority. Zombie. Zombie. <laughs> Of where my my education has come from. But in um, 1971, this group, they traveled to Belfast, Northern Ireland, on what they called the contraceptive train. I want to take a ride on the contraceptive train. It's hilarious. So they went to Northern Ireland, they um, got condoms, and then they brought them back, back. into Ireland because condoms were Fuck fucking illegal. Yes. So, which is such a Catholic thing oh, to do. it's so Catholic. So this is when, this is kind of my lead in in my notes to birth control and abortions. So we're going to start with talking about some birth control. Did you read about McGee versus the Attorney General? Yes, I did. Okay, so... This is fascinating. So fascinating. So a 1974 case involving Mary McGee, who was a woman who was warned by doctors that another pregnancy could end her life. So she was instructed to use a diaphragm and spermicidal jelly. 
So I was in the like reproductive aisle of Target yesterday because I was getting like pads and tampons and stuff and Does just like spermicidal jelly work. Uh yeah. I really? used to, sorry, this is too much information, but I used to never. I used to <laughs> never is. Hi, my name is Madigan and I'm here to share all my dirty We have secrets. a podcast? <laughs> I know. But like okay, so there it looks like a big Listerine strip and it's clear and it's got like spermicides on it and you insert it within yourself before you have sex and it dissolves. And it, like, lasts for a certain amount of time. I feel like that would sketch me out so bad. As far as, like, I wouldn't feel secure. Well, as we talked about, I can't take birth control. Right. So I've kind of gotten creative with my uses of birth control. So I was in the aisle the other day, and I was looking at those again. And then I realized they have this thing where it's, like, a jelly, but it's in, like, a tampon applicator. Because I'm going to tell you, getting that film inside you and having it not stick to your finger or, like, it's just not sexy either. You're like, I'm sorry, hold on one second. You put your leg up on the wall. No, you need, like, like, the other person to do it. (gasps) No. That's, I mean, sorry, Mom. That's what I had to do. I'm like, can you help me out here? Um, But this is, like, it's, like, a tampon applicator that's got the gel inside of it. So you just, like, (laughs) suck that shit into you. That seems better. I know. I'm kind of like I'm kind of looking to try that. Anyways, so <laughs> sorry, mom. My mom doesn't give a fuck. So section 17 of the criminal criminal law amendment. By the way, we're back to Mary McGee. So section 17 of the criminal law amendment act prohibited the prescription, which I'm like that's kind of progressive of the doctor to be like I know this is against the law, but like I'm gonna give you this prescription. But like first do no harm. I'm trying yeah. to fucking save your life because another baby could kill you. Well, but that's the thing is that the Catholic Church would then just say don't have sex, you know? That or they would of, say that that's God's will. Yeah, same. I mean, for you when, to die. When I was growing up, I mean, it was very much believed that you don't have sex unless it is for the purposes of making a child, so... See, I don't know. I grew up in a far more evangelical type of Christianity, and I don't know that the advice to a married couple would be not to have sex. I think it would be... It would have been something which is more dangerous, uh, which would have been to continue doing whatever you want, and God's will is God's will, and predestination, and if you are... He will see you through. So if right. you... Right. So, I mean, I... And I'm saying this as, like, a very Old Testament type of Catholicism, but also a lot of the Catholicism that I was raised with, I very much, with the churches that I went to, believe that, especially in middle school, because it was, like, old school, Old Testament Latin masses. Yeah. So, yeah. So, the Supreme Court actually ruled four and one in her favor and determined that married couples have the constitutional right to private discussions on family planning. So, like, right. not a private huge decisions, progressive yes. leap, but definitely also a pretty big leap. So, yes. Yeah, so, they basically ruled that, you know, if you're married, you can make a decision how many children you want to have and to kind of, like, work that out. And beyond that... That you should have, it was kind of the first step in women getting agency yeah, over their own health in regards of, like... Right. but only it, if you're not, married. <laughs> it, only if you're married. Yes, but it was a step. Oh, it was a totally. step, and it I'm was, like... I'm not taking that away. Yeah, and it was, like, not only for family planning purposes, but also for your health. Yeah. Having another baby would kill you, yeah. possibly. Yeah. Like, very likely. So... It was kind of the first tiny, itty-bitty baby step in women having control over their own reproductive health totally, totally. and lives in that way. Because before, it would have been like, well, if you die, you die. Like, yeah. I don't know what to tell you. Which <laughs> um, is crazy because we're in the 70s. Yes. So, in 1979, the Health Family Planning Act allowed the sale of contraceptives in Ireland 
with a prescription. So if you wanted a condom, you had to go to the doctor and be like, yo, what's up? Can I have a condom? I don't know if it was condoms precisely. I'm speculating. Um, and then in 1985, that same act, the Health Family Planning Act, allowed the sale of condoms and spermicides to people over the age of 18 without a prescription. So it took like six years for you to be able to get get that without but, a prescription. I mean, just think about that. What year was that? 1985. 1985. 1985. I mean, that so many of these things I had to kind of put in parentheses, like, what the fuck? Because I'm just like, you think of that year. My mom graduated high school in 1985. My mom got married in 1972. That is, (laughs) 1985 is five years before I was born. Like, that is bananas that you could not get a condom without a prescription from a doctor. 100%. In 1985. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, That is so crazy. Yeah. So, and then in 1992, the 13th Amendment was passed specifying that the protection of the right of life to the unborn does not limit freedom of travel in and out of state. And I was going to leave this out, but I'm like, could pregnant ladies not travel? I don't understand what that means. Okay. I just want to bring it up because I was kind of like, what? Listeners, if you have any clarity on that. Let us Please know. write us in. Like, yeah. write us in. Please write into us. Yeah. Wow, I've had two sips of whiskey. Great. <laughs> She's feeling frisky. Off to a good start. All right, so I'm kind of on to abortion next. Do you have anything else to add when it comes to birth control? Because I guess it kind of ties in together. My notes are chronological and not by subject, so it. it's it's a little more difficult. But yeah, so go, go ahead. I'm, I'm going to be the rule book here. Yeah. So we were just talking about 1985. We're going to go back to 1983. That is when the infamous Eighth Amendment was passed, which recognized the unborn as having equal rights to the mother. Yes. Yes. <laughs> which is crazy. To say that a fetus has equal rights... Yeah. To a living, breathing, operating, functioning right. human being. Do you think that if, like, somehow, like, men were pregnant, that it would be... Well, then maybe men would be treated like women. No, I don't think so. Yeah, I feel like <laughs> I mean, it would I guess, like... I don't know. If, if we're talking about a reality in which everything is exactly the same, except yeah. for that men can have babies... Uh, abortions would be available everywhere. Yeah, immediately they would like have a beer in the waiting room. Morning like, after pills, <laughs> birth control pills. That shit would be available. Um, I mean, just left uh, and right. It, it would just, be in the vending machines at work. It would be exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um So I, I truly do believe that. Yeah. It it is really. I mean, it's not shocking to me because it's a lot of the reality that I was raised in. You know, I I know a lot of those people who believe all of that. So it's not shocking, but it's also kind of like 1983. Come on now. So abortions could only be done legally if done as a medical intervention to save the life of a pregnant woman. And later that risk included suicide, which I'm kind of like, okay. So her mental health is being taken into account here. Yes. Like, that's great. You know, whatever. Um... So in 2012, there was a case with Savita, I'm sorry, I'm going to say her last name wrong, Salapanavor, Salapanavor. She died four days after a complete miscarriage, which led to international protests calling for review of the abortion laws in Ireland. This is 2012. Right. This is almost 20 years later, Mm -hmm. you know? So then the government introduced the Protection of Life During Pregnancy Act in 2013, And that year, the first legal abortion was carried. And then in 2012, so that same time that that happened, the Abortion Rights Campaign, or the ARC, was formed. And 
it was a grassroots movement, and by 2017, the ARC march had 40,000 people present, and they had multiple regional groups, up to 36 by 2018. They all had kind of that non-hierarchical, very feminist Mm -hmm. um, belief system, which was really wonderful, and they did a lot of good when it came to repealing the Eighth Amendment. And in 2018, in 18, yes. Yeah. I, for some I believe reason, it was, was last reading, year. I think it was, it was last, last year. May. Yeah, it, it was because we talked about it on the mini episode. Mm-hmm. So the Eighth Amendment was repealed and effective in 2019. The Health Regulation of Termination of Pregnancy Act came into effect, which um, defines the circumstances and processes where abortions may be legally performed, termination up to 12 weeks, risk of life of fetus or mother before or within, and this part was weird to me, 28 days of birth? What does that mean? Before or within 28 days of birth. Like they're going to kill a baby? I mean, that's not possible that that's what that means. Wikipedia, what the fuck? I don't know. (laughs) I don't understand that. So I wrote it down to see if maybe you would have some clarity, but I not. Will you read that again? It says that that you could have an abortion, sorry. Up to 12 weeks. Up to 12 weeks, or if there was a risk of life of the fetus or the mother before or within... 28 days Do they mean a risk of life for the mother within 28 days after birth? Like, if if she could give birth successfully but then die after? Is that what that means? I don't know, because they're ta- to me it sounds like these are the circumstances in which we will give an abortion. Right, but it says risk of life for the fetus or the mother before or within. So does that mean that even before 28 days of giving birth, the baby could be aborted? Because that seems a little absurd to me. That's... You're almost done. You're yeah. stretch. A baby could be born at that point. I have no idea. Again, if you have clarity, please, please write us. Fucking please. Because, I just wrote because shit again, down. Because, again, I feel like this kind of... It's the same thing that happened in New York recently with their abortion laws, where I feel like this kind of, like, weird, vague language mm-hmm. gives people, gives pro-lifers the excuse that they need as far as saying, like, look, they're talking about killing babies. They're talking mm-hmm. about murdering babies, which is not ever the case like Mm -hmm. that is not the situation that's happening here in fact late-term abortions the only reason why it would happen is if the baby cannot survive or the mother cannot survive yeah it does not happen um for any other reason nobody goes nobody goes and it's so fucking absurd to think this that this is anything else because no person who doesn't want to have a child goes that far into their pregnancy and then it's just they just wake up one day and they're like no you know what i don't think so like nobody does that they would only do it and in fact it's probably the most heart-wrenching awful moment of their life exactly to have to make any kind of decision like that Um, i think i think it's it's very few people who can do that without really having an emotional reaction to it i know for myself personally that I'm not here to say that I... God, I love you with your fucking Linda chocolates, chocolates. like, shoved into every pocket. I fucking love you. <laughs> so, I'm, you know, I'm not here to say that I would never have an abortion because I think that it would tear me apart, but I also understand a lot of times why people do it. And I don't think that... I think that it is something that people really grapple with and struggle with. It is a huge decision to make, and you have well, to think about how you're going to feel afterwards and everything like that. And I, if I don't you know. don't... And if you don't, because I also think, you know, with within the parameters that we typically have abortions, I think, like, 
if you just don't want to have a baby, if it's just not conducive to your life Mm -hmm. right now, um, that's an okay reason, too. I, I don't think that it has to be this... We have this perfect image of what it looks like for someone to make a decision to have an abortion. And right. I don't think it needs to look like that. Like, I don't no. think it needs to be this thing that's, like, super... Even though I think it would be for me, I don't think it needs to be for every woman that this thing that's super difficult. Yeah. But what I'm saying when it comes to, to abortions that maybe people will think are, like, late-term abortions. Yeah. And they're just, like, you're murdering a baby. Nobody wakes up that far into a pregnancy and is just like, you know what, oh, never mi- never mind. Like, nobody yeah. does that. Most likely, the most likely scenario is that this was a baby that was wanted. Yeah. And there were circumstances outside of the control of the mother yeah. or the family that made Agreed. this happen. Um, so I just think people need to look at these situations with a lot more compassion and empathy. Yeah, um, yeah and, and one thing that I think about a lot when I think about abortion is, um, especially when there are children conceived out of rape. Sure. I think that's something that the Catholic Church doesn't... Um, think about a whole lot or they're like oh like you know you still have to love that child things like that but but it's not putting into the concern of a, a lot of incestual rape mm-hmm. that is a big reason i feel like that people would want to get an abortion if they were in a situation like that rape in general like carrying that child for nine months that is putting your mental health at risk for a lot of people right i mean and you can point to circumstances where that wasn't the case but not everybody is set up like that like not everybody is set up to be able to handle that of course not and that's why you know i think that the misconception a lot of times of being pro-choice is being pro-killing babies well, you know what though, Which on is the other true. side of on the other side of that coin, and I know we've gotten off topic in talking talking about we abortion. have so much time. I only have a page and a half left of notes here. <laughs> in general, um, but on the other side of that coin, it's like there are a lot of reasons people can choose to get an abortion, and it might not be a reason that you deem v- viable. Because I think a lot of people, even people who are anti-abortion, will make exceptions for rape or incest or health. Yeah, but. There are other factors to consider, as in, if you are in poverty or you have been raised in poverty and you don't want to bring a child into the world that you cannot support, Yeah, to be pro-life and then be also anti any kind of system that would help people who are in right. poverty. Well, and then also a lot of times people would argue that there is adoption, the foster system, okay. which is a horrible system. A- adoption's really hard. It's way yeah. harder than than people acknowledge that it like, is. It's not just like, oh, put it up for adoption. It's, it's, it's like, super no. difficult. Um, the foster care system, I know people who foster, um, God bless them. But it's that that system hard. is really hard on kids. Yeah, it's and really, it's really so hard on kids, flawed. and it's really, really hard on families. Like, it's really hard on families who want to foster. So... Um, and it's oversaturated right now. So for it you is. to say, like, you can just put your kid up for adoption or into foster care. You're setting um, that kid up for a lot of quite potential possibly. emotional turmoil for right. and I'm not saying child's that life. 100% of the time, the, um, 100% of the time, the thing that you should do is uh, abort that child. I'm not saying that, but I'm there saying, are, like, are these are considerations that people have. It's pro Right, when they're faced with this decision. And so to be, um, to kind of tie it back into Ireland and like what we're talking about here, to be anti-contraception 
anti-welfare programs and anti-abortion, you are saying that women have so little agency in what they can decide to do. If you want to be anti-abortion, you need to be pro-contraception. Yeah. Like, period. Because, and and you also need to be pro-giving out, like, some kind of program to help mothers or women who are in a position well, to not about, financially be able to support think a child. Think about who was running a lot of the social services. The Catholic Church. Exactly. And they're going to be anti... It just doesn't make any sense. You are just... To be honest, and I'm going to say this very plainly, if you are against contraception, against any welfare programs, and against abortion, all of those things, if you're against all of those things, and you're just anti-women, mm-hmm. like, you're just anti-women because you're leaving I think women... that's a really re- great way of putting it. ...with no choices. There's like, no you, agency, they like just you have no choices. Yeah. It's <laughs> Legally. Like, it, it really is. It's like, it's, it's that thing that has been said to me a million times where it's like, we'll just put it in God's hands. Put it in God's hands. And I, for one, again, sorry, Mom, saying this a lot this episode, I think that's bullshit. I agree. I think that's complete bullshit. I think that you can't always just put blind trust in something well, okay. and believe that it's going to work And out. I'm going to touch on this um, because I know that they don't listen to this podcast, so I'm not going to like hurt their feelings. But I do have a family member who, you know, something really bad recently happened. Her house burned down. And then I was talking to my mom, and she's been at this job that she hates working with these... She loves the kids, but she's been working at this job that she hates for... Uh, a long, long time. It's very far away. She spends a lot of money in gas. My mom recently told me that she made like $11 an hour (gasps) and she's been there for like 16 years Uh -uh. and she wants to leave now and she has no benefits because she's working for a nonprofit. So she's been making $11 an hour driving, uh, spending Uh -uh. however much money in gas ever. So she's living on very, very, very little and now she wants to leave in her 50s and she has no benefits. Yeah. And when I asked my mom why she didn't leave and get another job, she told me, well, she thought that God was calling her to stay at this job and work with these kids. And I can understand that. But I also think that very often God is kind of used as an excuse not to make yourself uncomfortable or make changes. Or or to... And I get that God a lot of times can be a... And I'm sorry that we're diving so far into religious talk, but I feel like you can't really talk about the Irish government without talking about the Catholic Church. But I feel like a lot of times it is a way for people to feel comforted in situations. Like you said, someone's house burning down. Um, as like, this is God's plan, a way for me to... I'm going to get out of this, yada, yada, yada. But I think which a I lot think of times... positive, trying to see things is. as an opportunity, which I understand. I definitely see the positive side of it. I'm not completely shitting on the idea. But in terms of what your mother said, in terms of a lot of things that I hear from my family, um, I, I personally call call bullshit. I agree. I, I had, I've had a lot of really interesting conversations with our friend Arielle, who owns The Swallows Flight. We've done some live shows yes. for her company. Love her dearly. She was also raised in a very religious family. Yes. And we bonded over that. (laughs) Exactly. And it's interesting because she's, you know, brought it up as a lot of other people have about how it's like, how can I believe in a God who would agree to all of these things and see all of these awful things happening when sometimes it's like, you know, back in the day, your kid is sick. Well, that's God's will. I guess he's going to die. It's like, no, you make a choice to create your own fate. Right. You can't just leave it up to a higher power all the time. And you can believe in a higher power and also believe 
in your in yourself. Like yeah. I don't think that they're mutually exclusive. And I completely. Agree. I definitely think that whenever I was highly religious, I put a lot of my. Um, I would decide, kind of. I would decide whether subconsciously or not that something was God telling me something because I had a feeling. Um, and I think that it was very often the thing that made me feel less uncomfortable. So yeah. staying at a job, it, how do you justify staying at a job that you don't like that doesn't pay you well? Well, God wants me to be here. And that stops you from ever having to like yeah. do anything else. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's interesting. So I have this, this cheesy Beatles lyric that I carry with me whenever I'm feeling... Um, stuck in life or feeling like life isn't being ta- isn't taking me in the direction that I want it and that's a, a lyric from All You Need Is Love that says there's nowhere you can be that isn't where you're meant to be. Yeah. So maybe the Beatles are my higher power. Yes. They're just leading you through life. They're leading you through life. So with all, with all that... Okay, let's jump we, back in. So sorry. Do you have anything else you want to talk about when it comes to birth control and abortion? No, not right now. Okay. Because um, we can kind of go through my notes and then if we want to go back and talk about some other stuff, I, th- I say we do that. Okay, so let's so, jump um, to marriage? That's That was my Perfect. next thing. Perfect. I figured you were going to marriage. Okay. Boo-boo. So prior to 1981, a man could sue... Well, first of all... Let's go all the way all back. All the way back. So let's go all the way all back the way to back. 1932. Yes. So... In 1932, the marriage bar was introduced, yes. and it prevented any married woman from working in the public sector, which is, Yeesh. again, insane. <laughs> um, insane. Like and Amen, this is when like you're Amen like... Like would say, you're just doing your duties. And, and this is when you look at... American feminism, and uh-huh. you're like, well, at least it wasn't that. I mean, like, yeah. at least women in the 30s well, could legally have jobs. And divorce and remarriage was illegal from 1937 to 1995. It's, it's bananas. And so there was a uh, provision in Article 41.2. And I can't remember what year this was. I think it was in, yes, 1937. There was a constitution, uh, Article 41.2. And it said, one, the state recognizes that by her life within the home, woman gives to the state a support without which the common good cannot be achieved. Did you say Which this already? is, um, I said Amen Eamon's version oh, of we'll that. Oh, we'll just cut that out then. No, it's a, but it's interesting because it shows, you know, even if it's, the relatively similar quotes, I think that it shows how vastly believed that was. Right. You know, yeah, it's not I mean, like it was, it's just one dude's it conservative was opinion. literally it's, written into the Constitution in 1937. Exactly. And that's the thing, is that it, it isn't like it's one person's ideal. It was definitely, like, that's that was the way that a lot of people, especially men, thought. And a lot of women probably had to continually tell themselves, well, like, this is... This is God's plan. This is what I'm meant to be doing. It's just yeah. staying home and birthing babies and taking care of them and cleaning the house because this is my duty to the state. So from 1932 to 1973, the marriage bar existed. And yep. again, that marriage bar is that a married woman is not able to work outside the home. So you're talking about 41 years. 41 years this yeah. existed. It was not until 1973... That the marriage bar was lifted. And and like we said earlier, it's interesting thinking about like our lives and our parents' lives because I think of my mom. So my mom was married in 1972. She was 21 years old. And that's kind of when she like started her own career and doing a lot of mm-hmm. things like that. It's, it's just interesting to think of my mom. Yes, this was 72, so it was the year before this was lifted. 
But it's interesting to think of somebody like my mom being told, no, you can't do that. You know what I mean? It's just, it's weird to think that it was that recent, you know? I mean, and it would have been difficult because for me, that's such a huge incentive to not get married. Yeah. I'm like, because you're completely limiting my agency. Whether I want to work or not, I should have the option to be able to decide that for myself. Right. Well, and then there was something too, I forgot to write this down, but I wrote it in my original notes where the woman's income after this would be melded yes. with the m- yes. man's income. Yes. So it would be seen for, as quote, unquote, his income. tax purposes. For tax purposes. Yes. yes. It wasn't It wasn't her own money, which, I mean, when you're married, typically, you know, my money is your money. It's that kind of situation. But right, but legally, like... Your income I, is still your own. You I your have own my own, even though I'm in a long-term relationship, we're engaged, we haven't discussed what we'll do after we get married, but, like... Yeah. My income is still my income. Right. You know what I mean? Like, anything that I want within what I have earned for myself outside of shared expenses, like, uh, you know, apartment or whatever, any shared bills, assets, things like bills, that. Um, is mine. Yeah. Like, and I just cannot imagine legally it being... An obligation, and this had to have been after the marriage bar was lifted in 1973 because they before still had that, to make regulations. married women couldn't, couldn't work even work at all. So they're saying even whenever they've lifted that, when married women are able to work, they have to give up all of their income sometime in the 70s and 80s. I don't yeah. know what year this, this was lifted, but that is insane. It's insane. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, so my next note is in 1981. Do you have anything else before 1981? Yes. So in 1976, the Family Home Protection Act, uh, was enacted. Mm -hmm. And that was something where the husband could sell or mortgage the family home without the consent or even knowledge of his wife. Just think about... (laughs) And, and again, okay, so if you're looking at all of these things from the perspective of a very, very, very healthy relationship and marriage, yeah. then it's probably fine because yeah. you have two people who are, you know, considerate of the other person. But if you start inching in towards perhaps an abusive relationship in any way, think about how quickly this could leave a woman with no assets no money, because you're saying he has complete reign over the family home. That asset is gone. You're saying he has complete reign over the bank accounts. That asset is gone. So he could sell your home. He could take your money, and he could leave you potentially either by yourself or with children with zero assets and zero legal recourse to do anything. That is scary. That's horrifying. That's so scary. Yeah, to to live in a marriage like that would be very horrifying and especially now that divorce would be legal, it's also you're still kind of trapped in that, you know, I can't leave because what would I have? Yeah, you'd have you're nothing. You're forcing women to stay in in potentially abusive dangerous relationships. relationships. I mean, and even now they recommend that women have what's called a fuck off fund. So even <laughs> even now, it's what it's called. It's a I fuck know, off I've fund. I've never heard that before. Um, which I mean, I'm in a completely healthy relationship with somebody who I love and we communicate very well, but I will always have a fuck off fund, which is basically like if anything ever were to happen or change, I have a cushion of money that is mine that can't be touched by anybody else um, that I can do with what I want. And like great idea. They recommend that women nowadays have that. Um, And 
that wasn't even an option for women in Ireland in, no, you up, up until you the 70s. you couldn't withhold any money from your husband. Yeah, up until the late 70s, which yeah. is insane. Um, okay, yeah. So I found it interesting that until 1981, a man could sue any person who had sexual relations with oh, yes. his wife. Yes, even if it was consenting. So if she cheats on you, yeah. you can sue that dude. <laughs> yeah, for real. And it's like, but it says if the couple was already separated, the husband can only sue if separation was caused by the infidelity. I just want to picture the room in which this was discussed by government people. By a bunch of dudes. By a bunch of dudes. They were like, you know what sounds good? My my wife cheated on me, and I really want to sue the bastard. Yeah, fuck that guy. So we're going to put this in the Constitution. It's going to be a thing. Um, but you and know everyone what? was like, yes, yes, yes. That sounds yes, reasonable. Yes, 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 yes. yes, yes, yes. It, it definitely makes sense. But then it's like, oh, but if you're already separated. but it, As it was long because... as it wasn't a result of her cheating on you, which is so crazy to me. So the dude can cheat on her. Does she have any legal recourse to be no. like, um, I can sue that woman you were fucking? Like, <laughs> no. And it's so no. insane because it so clearly illustrates that women are looked at as property. Yeah. You own her. You she, touched my toy. You touched my toy. I'm going to hurt exactly. you. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it's so fucking weird and childish. Yeah. And honestly... I, I'm just picture, picturing giant white toddler men. Yes. Like, ah! And I was angry before I even started drinking whiskey, and, like, I'm getting just pure Irish anger out now. You know what I mean? But um, Vegan's Irish now, guys. I'm just, I'm about to be legally married, so... Um, my, okay, so I, um, my ex's brother-in-law's mother... Um, I asked if she was Irish, and she once said, no, but I've had a lot of Irish in me. Uh, and I was but like, it, yes! Excellent joke. <laughs> excellent joke. Um, yeah, I just think that it is it is so fucking weird, and, and this might be the whiskey talking, but I'm like, this is why men shouldn't make decisions. Yeah. Because this is such a fucking weird law. I know. To be like, it's... This is my property. Like, yeah. I just cannot imagine looking at another human being and being like, you are so much lower than me that I can own you physically. Yeah. Like, but it's crazy. But but that is, it's crazy for us to think about, but at the same time, that's our history. I know. That's I mean, our yeah. history. That's everything. You know, a, a woman is a, was a man's property up until very recently and i think that there are still a lot of relationships and places in our country even that operate that way well i mean and and so much of it is deeply i mean we're not going to get back on this topic but it is so deeply um entrenched in theology and like religion like it really is that like i mean we talked last week when we were talking about matilda jocelyn gage and how she believed in separation of of church and state and that was very much um a lot of her reasoning for it and you know she went through you know she helped write the women's bible because she believed that when she was going through the bible that it was very rooted in the patriarchy yeah you know and i i do want to put a disclaimer here and say that listen i was raised very christian in a lot oh of my ways God, you were oh my i've gosh, never heard what? that on the show before. and and in a lot of ways i think it did me good mm-hmm. like i think it did me good in a lot of ways and so i just want to do a disclaimer here because i know that i know for a fact that we have listeners who are practicing um christians oh yeah we're uh, not we're not saying that that because your religion believes this that you believe it 
Yeah, or even that your religion is wrong or yeah. you're bad for believing it or any of that. Like none of none of that is what we're trying to get out here. Yeah. Get at here. This, a lot of this is is very based on our our personal experiences. Based on our personal experiences, yeah. and I definitely don't want to. Um, I don't want to call anybody out or make anybody feel self-conscious about your no. belief system. No, I'm I am one of those people when it comes to religion where I am fully I'm fascinated by people's beliefs. I will sit and listen to anybody's beliefs and and how they think about the world with a very non-judgmental stance. I am not judging anybody for their beliefs or what their lives are like. If it's working for you, I say do it, and that's what feminism is. Yeah, you know agreed. what I mean? I agree. So I'm on to work and wage gap next. What do you, do you have anything Perfect. to add? Perfect, let's do it. Let's talk about work and wage gap. So like we said, the marriage bar was lifted in 1973. Uh, the Employment Equality Act in 1977 prohibited most gender discrimination in employment. And then there was another act in 1998 to uphold this. That, to me, seems like one of those things, again, I'm not Irish, I don't know anything about Irish history, but that seems like something to appease people, where it's like, you know what, we're going to end discrimination in employment, but then I'm sure there was a lot of loopholes. Well, and I also want to know what most means. Like, what yeah. does that mean? Because it says the Employment uh, Equality Act of 1977 prohibited most gender discrimination yeah. in employment. Like, and what I does think, that mean? So there had to yeah. have been instances in which it was still acceptable. So, like, yeah. what... That's what, what I'm what saying. Were those I, feel like that, I feel like that law was created with loopholes in mind. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, there's still going to be discrimination, but it's like, we're going to do this to, like, appease a little bit. But it was upheld in 1998, which makes a lot of sense to me that maybe it was revised and things like that. Um, so the female employment rates stretched to 60.6% in 2007. I found this very interesting. I actually highlighted this in my notes because... I want everyone to listen very closely to this because I would love to get the numbers in other developed countries, yeah. um, particularly in the United States, since that's what we have familiarity with, and compare. Mm -hmm. Because to me, these percentages seemed crazy. Mm -hmm. Because in my life, in my very personal experience, like just anecdotal experience... Everyone has jobs? Most women I know work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, most women I, I, know I know work. I don't think I have any friends who just like... I mean, my, my mom doesn't work, but like the majority of women that I know work. Yeah. So it is crazy I, and to And the me. fact that that was like... We skyrocketed to sixty point six percent, guys. Right in two thousand seven, right is bonkers, crazy to me. But yes. then it began to decrease. By the time we hit two thousand twelve, the rate was at fifty two point two percent. Yeah, so it Bitch, goes. What? It goes from the female employment rate goes from sixty point six percent in two thousand seven, slowly begins decreasing to fifty seven point six percent in two thousand nine, and then continued to reduce. Yeah. To fifty five point two percent in two thousand twelve. But like fucking why? And they they do say that women typically work less hours per week than men. And then there's the whole single mother thing because the, there's like lack of preschool and daycare available, which makes sense. But it's like I'm just confused. Like why is there this? I mean, decrease? I, I guess if you look at it, I don't know why there's necessarily a decrease. I think the fact that even at its peak, it was only 10% higher than half. half. Um, 
which is low to us. Yeah. But I do think if you look at it in the context of how slow how slowly a lot of their things moved. Oh, um, for sure. Where, you know, wherein in 1973 was the first time yeah. that married women could work legally. Um, I think that that kind of illustrates yeah, why that... it's so much lower. Because I think in the 1970s in the United States, working women were far, far, far more common. And working yeah. married women... in in it, between like the the second and third waves in the United States, yeah. we were looking at the have it all woman, right? The kind of like lean in woman, yeah. where you can be a wife and mother and also have a job. And we've kind of moved away from that as like fourth wave feminists because we realize it's not entirely realistic. Right. But that was kind of the mentality for like second wave and third wave feminisms. I mean, uh, feminism. You look at um, Betty Friedan's book. Mm-hmm the feminine mystique where that's basically her whole argument is that like yeah. housewives should be able to have jobs outside of the home in yeah. the sixties and seventies. And in Ireland, they didn't have that because yeah. they weren't given that right. They legally the opportunity, the opportunity until the seventies. Well, this is interesting. So this is from the women's bureau. It says, this is for the United States. It says, of the 123 million women aged 16 years and over in the U.S., 72 million, or 58.6%, were labor force participants working or looking for work. Women comprised 47% of the total U.S. labor force. Women I, are projected to account for 51% of the increase in total labor force growth between 2008 and 2018. So if we're judging by that, then the number is lower, but I just don't. That doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense to me either, but we could be wrong. We'll look into this more. We could totally be wrong. But um, I found it really interesting where um, kind of like in the U.S. and I'm sure a lot of other parts of the world, um, the the risk of poverty and a lack of um, a job for single women is especially difficult, especially mm-hmm. a- apparently, I did not know this, but in Ireland there is a lack of available preschool and daycare for a lot of people. I totally believe and that. And I know that that's an issue in the U.S. It as is. well. It is, yes. Um, and, and just imagine, like, you're, the odds are already stacked against you, and then you've got a child, which, you you know, back in the day, couldn't abort it, you couldn't prevent it, you couldn't, right. you know. There were, you had no recourse You've got this yeah. kid, and then they're telling you to go work, you know. Again, I'm jumping in the timeline when I make that statement, but still. But yeah, yeah, I mean, that totally makes sense. Yeah. Um, But it says that the wage gap, according to Eurostat data, the wage gap between men and women is 14%, and women earn 86% of men's pay. 86? Yeah. Okay. All right. What Are we 73? I think we're lower than 86. Damn. I believe. Or we were. I don't know if there's a recent stat on that. Yeah. Um, that's something worth looking into. In fact, I think that we should probably have a wage gap episode at some point. We definitely should. I remember when I was in college, just because I thought I was super funny, someone asked me for a dollar and I gave them 73 cents. Yes, exactly. Hey. You're like, um, I make less than you, so how about that? <laughs> how about that? Yeah, I've I've actually gone through all my notes. Is there anything that you want to add? The only other thing that I wanted to point out is with all of this and with having looked at that, it looks like maybe the U.S. It's easy for us, I think, to be like, oh my god, the U.S. is so much far further advanced, but it doesn't yeah. seem that way. When if, if those stats are true about uh, working women, at least, yeah. it doesn't necessarily seem that way. Um, but whenever I was doing these notes, it definitely felt that way to me. Yeah. And so it was kind of surprising to me when I found out that in 1990, the year that I was fucking born, um, Mary Robinson was elected to be the first female president of Ireland. Mm-hmm. 
And the second president, Mary McAleese, I'm so sorry if I'm mispronouncing that, uh, McAleese, was president between uh, between 1997 and 2001, which is a very long time to be president. Yeah. But... They've had two, at least two, female presidents. Although I did read that it's like one in three parliament members are women, which honestly doesn't sound that bad, but still one not third, great. I mean, I mean, a third is really not that bad. Not horrible. But, you know, kind of like we said earlier, it's like women need to be making more decisions. Clearly. In all countries. Fucking like, clearly. This, the history of this shit is absolutely ridiculous. Y'all can't be trusted you can't at be all. Trusted to making make fucking petty ass laws about like being able to sue your wife's like fuckboy or whatever. Like what's <laughs> happening? Oh, and I mean just looking at reproductive laws and everything. I mean, I think that learning more about Irish feminism just kind of highlights a lot of the things that people in the U.S. think about. I mean, a lot of it very much mirrored what what our history is and a lot of the things that I think, you know, men in our comment sections still believe. Absolutely. I mean, well, all of these kind of Western cultures, especially those that are based on these religions, like Christianity or Catholicism or whatever, um, they're patriarchal in nature. Yeah. So... A lot of that is going to leak through in other aspects of your life. Right. And, and again, that's, just... that's what I found so fascinating about Ireland in general is because there was no separation of church and state. The church was very much a very big part of their culture. And I know that the church has definitely um, decreased in its power uh, throughout the years. So I actually knew someone who went on a Catholic mission trip to Ireland. Interesting. And I was like don't they have enough Catholicism there? And I asked, so my friend Lucia would be a princess if they still had royalty in Ireland, which Mm -hmm. is fucking bonkers to me. And she's like, oh, no, no, no. Like, Protestants are, like, the up-and-coming now. Well, I mean, that's what... Again, I'm so sorry. And correct me if I'm wrong, because I don't know anything about Irish history, really. But, I mean, I do know that that's the big conflict, is Protestants and and Catholics. Catholics. Yeah. So, I mean, that makes sense. it interesting. I'm like... You're trying to bring back these like old school laws? I don't know. I was just very because you believe in it. I mean, that's by the that whole mission thing. trip, I yeah. was like, "You're going to Ireland for a Catholic?" That just seems like it's somewhere you wanted trip? to go to have like funsies to me. Right? Well, she met her husband, and now she's married. So no. yeah, but I mean, there you go. That was the goal. Come there on, you have. You I wanted know, we to meet someone like, with an accent. We, we, she's so Catholic. We're like, you're gonna go on this trip, and you're gonna meet your future husband. Yeah. And sure enough, she fucking. Yeah, did, you so. wanted to meet somebody with an accent. Let's be real. It wasn't He's to, Scottish. I think to spread God's good message. Um, <laughs> Anyway. <laughs> all right, you guys. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Again, apologies for all the things we probably got wrong. We're not historians. Yes, you guys and, know that. And please correct us. Please, please. please. If you we live in Ireland, know. we want to hear from you. If we got some shit wrong, please. We will definitely correct ourselves in a and, future episode. And I want to know more about what's happening now and how a lot of these issues are still affecting your lives now in Ireland. I just find it so fascinating because it's hard for a country to completely change its ideology so quickly. Um, especially when it's like, you know, your parents could have grown up in this time. You know, it's it's very interesting to me. So please let us know if you want to give us any feedback or um, ask us any questions, send us any stories. You can reach us at our email address at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com. Um, check out our Instagram. You can DM us there as well at Angry Neighborhood Feminist. Most of our shit happens on Instagram. If you feel like it, you can follow us on Twitter. We are at Yamp Podcast, Y-A-N-F. 
beautiful Keegan Thank you. podcast. And then we also have a Facebook business and group page. You can also leave us a review on our business page on Facebook as well as Apple Podcasts. They make our day. They make our week. They make our lives. We love it so much. Thank you. You'll be featured on Reviews Day Tuesday. Um, you guys, we're also going to be having our uh, coming out episode again coming up, which was something that we really enjoyed doing last year. So to kind of preempt all that, if you want to start sending us your coming out stories, please do. You can email them, DM us, whatever you want to do. Um, yeah, all that fun stuff. Yeah. I always end that horribly. I'm like, so yeah. Well, I always want to make sure we've covered all of our bases. Exactly. Which I, have to, I like, think kind we of did. Think about it. I so, think we did. You guys, thank you so much again for listening. With all of that being said, we encourage you to, to rage, rage on. Later. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.